This is episode 42 with Jessica Jansen, mother of three with one in heaven. And today we'll be talking about how you as a mother can bring the joy back in your life following those nudges. I just don't want to waste the time that I do have in my body that is mm -hmm. working because if, if that changes on a dime, you know, if you get, you know, an infection and all of a sudden you aren't able to walk, if, you know, you get into a car accident and you get paralyzed, whatever it is, I'm going to say like, I did what I could with what I had. And so that has just helped me reframe how I show up and what I actually care about. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired or maybe yelling at your kids or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all or just to become a more confident mom if so then welcome to citrus love keeping motherhood inspired i'm christiane Bechin, a mother of two sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms and also including freshly squeezed ideas a little bit of fun so you can learn how to find balance and also how to raise strong caring confident kids in today's world so if you're ready let's get started Hi, welcome to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. I'm so happy you're listening today. We have a wonderful mother, very bold, full of life that will share her mom journey and we'll talk about her new book, Bringing the Joy, how following the nudges of your heart leads to an abundant life. And today's guest, Jessica Jansen, will talk how she found the strength and followed her heart to bring more joy, even during the most difficult and unimaginable moments that a mother could experience. In this episode, Jessica talks about joy as a mindset and how you can use joy starters to bring more joy into your days. So that's a fun one. And we also talk about your body image, your self-esteem regarding your mama body after having kids, body confidence, self-body love, and how she learned to let go caring at all of what other people thinks of her. She's the proud mother of three kids, which includes Lewiston, her son who is in heaven and whom passed away just before the age of six months a couple years ago of a rare genetic disease called SME or spinal muscular atrophy. She is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, a speaker, and the founder of the Lewiston Foundation for her son this conversation radiates the true meaning of living a life of joy and purpose. So it's a lot of goodness. If you feel like you have a nudge after this conversation in donating $5, $2, $100, whatever your heart desires to the Lewiston Foundation, you can go to our website. I'll link everything in the show notes. Go to www.citruslove.com slash episode for if you enjoy these episodes, these conversations for you moms on your journey, trying to just get through one day at a time, because that's how we need to do it. If it can help one mom, then that's going to be amazing. Tag me so I know who's listening at Citrus Love Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook. So with that said, let's get to it and listen to this conversation. Welcome, Jessica, to the Citrus Love Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time today to have this conversation and to inspire mothers on their journey. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. So I want to start with your book. Your first book, what you released it a few months ago called Bring the Joy, How Following the Nudges of Your Heart Leads to an Abundant Life. So I read it in two days. Honestly, it made me smile. It made me giggle. It made me cry like... I felt like you were right there in front of me explaining basically your life story, everything, all the vulnerable parts, and you mm -hmm. were direct, honest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was refreshing to read. So congrats, because it took you six years to, to have it out. 
Mm-hmm. So I know your story from reading the book, but for most of the listeners that might not know who you are and how you were before realizing that it's very important to follow these nudges that lead to a path of joyful living, take us uh-huh. back to uh, Jessica Jansen version 1.0 before you had kids, before you were married. Yeah, it, I, I, that question, Jessica version 1.0, I mean... I think I was living joyfully, but not as boldly and bully as I could have been, which is where I think I really shifted when obviously my story kind of took this major turning point. And so I was born and raised on a small town just outside of Winnipeg. I had two brothers. I knew that the farm life, like I wasn't going to take over my dad's farm. So I wanted to carve out my own career path and I was going to be this big, you know, city slicker and travel the world with my high heels and briefcase because nobody did that in small town. I did. I grew up. (laughs) And I was, you know, going to be Miss Important CEO and all this stuff. And uh, then I, on a whim, literally on a whim with $300 to my name, moved to uh, Calgary, Alberta with two girlfriends, you know, didn't really know anyone, had no job lined up, just said, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And through a series of different, you know, life circumstances that came my way through, you know, several different jobs and climbing my way through figuring out my career and what that all looked like, I met my husband at a place of work uh, called Jugo Juice and we hated each other to start. And eventually um, I started getting these deep-seated nudges to pursue him. He ended up having an extreme drug overdose and almost died. And uh, it was a simple invitation to attend church with me. And that led into this beautiful friendship with like deep meaning and impact. And I, the more time I spent with him, the more I fell in love with this guy and the huge heart and how great he was. And I used to not be able to stand the guy thinking that he was a pompous a-hole. And so <laughs> that led to us eventually getting married. There's a, it's a doozy of a story because I confessed my undying love to him three times and three times. He's like, yeah, that's nice, but I don't really feel the same way. Basically like me yelling across my car in the streets being like, why can't you just love me? And obviously here we are, we're now married and and have had three kids in that I was very focused on career and he was starting up a new small business with some business partners. I got recruited for a software company and I wanted to be the next hotshot for the NFL portfolio. They did software for the NFL and I was like, we're going to move to San Francisco and all. (laughs) And I ended up hating the job. I ended up hating the corporate culture and it was not for me. I had quit without really telling my husband and that led then me getting pregnant. Our daughter got pregnant way more easily than we anticipated we would. I had health complications. So it was such a blessing to have kids. And then my daughter was four months old and we got pregnant with our second and life was kind of ticking along. We had no idea how we were going to make things work because I used to be kind of the primary breadwinner, but we kind of were just figuring out. And then our story took a turn kind of for the worse and my son got diagnosed with, with this rare genetic disease. So that was my life kind of leading into, I think, mm-hmm. Jessica 2.0. And my, my son, my second child with this rare genetic diagnosis that we had really was what probably was the slap across the face I needed to become fully alive and to really experience joy in all circumstances. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about that part of your life. I want to focus again on the joy, a big theme that you spoke about. One definition you use in the book, I found interesting that joy is not a feeling, it's a mindset and it it takes stubbornness to live it out, that it's the foundation to resiliency. And I found that very interesting. What got you to define it this way? I I think we all want this like joyful life and everyone, you know, talk about happiness, choosing joy. And, you know, it's all said and good to be able to choose joy or bring joy or, you know, feel joyful when you've got, you know, a large sum of money in your bank account and everyone's healthy and life is good because it's just like, oh, things are happy. You don't have anything bothering Mm -hmm. you. But I believe to the depths of my core that joy is possible at any time with any circumstances, even in the face of death. And for me, what that looked like was, that joy is a mindset and the mindset can be a default setting that our brains are wired to. And I wanted to wire my brain, my default setting to be joyful. I didn't want to have a pity party and be stuck in my circumstances and everything was boohoo. And I believe that when we train ourselves to have this joyful mindset, and when that becomes our default setting, that even in the crappiest of circumstances, for me, ultimately my son's insane, horrible terminal diagnosis, Mm -hmm. I was determined that it could be joyful. And for me, that talks about resiliency, that just because things aren't going well doesn't mean we can't find joy we can't bring joy we can't see the joy in the tough stuff Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and I think I've struggled with mental health and depression and, um, you know, really negative self-talk where, you know, often sometimes and we, we hear these horrible stories about, you're like, I would have never anticipated that this person would take their life or commit suicide or like, we had no idea. They were always so happy. Mm -hmm. But often those people are sometimes the people that struggle with it the most. And so I've done a lot of work personally um, to work on my mindset because it's so easy for me to go deep, to go dark. And I've been consciously working on that. In high school, I attempted suicide. Um, I attempted the suicide. And so I think I've been conscious about where I let my head base go. And then with this, I knew that this could break me or make me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of days it felt really dark, really heavy, but I was able to lean into that default mind setting of choosing joy and bringing joy, being joyful in the crappy, hard circumstances. Mm-hmm. What were you doing that really helped you? I, I think it's a combination of things. One of the biggest things is about what kind of habit you start to cultivate. And I think your daily habits truly lead to that. And one of the things, um, I didn't know this before, but I've now started following and doing a lot of the work, is a lady by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf. She talks about, um, she's a neuroscientist, and she talks about how you can change your mindset and change your neural pathways. So a lot of us have our default settings. And I think without even knowing it, I was changing my default settings to be default settings of joy and to have this mindset of joy. And you can actually start writing out these thoughts consciously. And, you know, it takes 21 days to learn a new habit and make it a skill. And Mm -hmm. she's saying with all of the science behind it, that it's actually 63 days. The brain works in these three week cycles. And so if you can stay the course for that long, that's where you're ultimately going to start to see the change and to see that impact and what that looks like. And so I think I was doing some of that work without even knowing that, oh, there's an actual science behind this and you can actually change those neural pathways. I think if you really want to dive into it, you, I would encourage people to go follow Dr. Caroline Leaf. Um, she has fantastic, a fantastic app and fantastic tools and resources on our websites to actually help you change your mindset. So if you're somebody that struggles or is in a deep, dark place, But for me, it was like the simple things, and this is my own thing that I've kind of made up. It's just so like looking for the joy starters. Like literally, if I'm in the grocery store and I've been looking for something, my favorite potato chip or some jam that, you know, our family loves and it's been hard to get. Like if I find it, like I'm going to be the chick that's going to high kick in the store and like, (laughs) woo! And people are like, what is happening? And I've learned to not care what other people think, but I'm like celebrating the small things. And for me, it's like a joy starter. Yeah, I was able to find the you know our favorite family jam or like oh this cup of coffee is like totally making my day and feeling me and I have this amazing mug that I um, have my coffee in every morning and for me that's a joy starter so it's like literally about training your mind and your brain to start looking for those small things along the way and then it's really how you start to view and shape your thought and I've just really worked on shaping my thoughts in the most positive way possible and when you start to do that it just totally changes how you look at a situation I love that and it must definitely rub off on your kids and your husband. It totally does. And even like we celebrate the silliest, stupidest, funnest things in our house. <laughs> and we just get stoked about, you know, silly things. But it's like life is short. And sometimes we tend not to celebrate the things that we should that, you know, maybe they aren't that big of a deal, but it's like, make them a big deal because I've learned you don't really know when the next opportunity will be. So why not, you know, Mm -hmm. high five when you close the contract or jump up and down or have a family dad party to celebrate, you know, that you've got an exciting trip or, you know, an exciting family activity plan. Even if it's as simple as going for a family bike ride, I think you can just start to really craft those relations and make make the most of them. What I like is one particular part in your book, I I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, is when you saw your, well, now husband, but at the time he was at the same work as you, you had this nudge, this feeling inside to go talk to him. How many of us, we, we get that, but we don't act on it. We say, oh, no, for so many reasons not to do it. And you've learned along the way to act upon those nudges, which has dramatically changed your life. What can you say to that mother listening to that woman to follow those nudges and not just wait it out? 
Totally. I think so. I, I call this like the book is all about the nudges that we get. And the book is all about sharing. It was a li- originally going to be a love story about just me and my husband, but then our life got blown up with our son and all of the crazy that happened on, on our journey with him. But it was truly like I really started to notice the nudges when I when I started pursuing my husband. And it was for me, it's like this deep seated whisper and it's like a tug at your heart. You can act physically feel it. And for me, I believe that's the voice of God. And I said, you know, you do you. You can believe it's whoever it is. Maybe it's your great aunt Selma or, you know, Buddha or the universe or whatever it is that that's your belief system. For me, it's God. And that tugs at your heart and it, it like is prompting something inside of you. And a lot of time it, it it means that we're going to be uncomfortable. Like literally my husband caught a sky. I know he's like, dad, dad, muffin. I'm so <laughs> dang blessed. And so of course I'm like, literally get this nudge to ask him if he's okay and invite him to church. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable. I was like, I don't want to look like a Bible thumper. And I'm like, I don't want to ask the hawk at a church. Like, of course he's going to say no, like, uh. and you're kind of like throwing up in your throat a little bit. And I didn't want to do it because I was a scared of his reaction which I'm not in control of that. And I'm not in control of his response. And so a lot of times I think we ignore the nudges because they're going to make us uncomfortable and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But my whole book is like saying like, look at every time I wasn't sure of something, every time I followed through on a nudge, here's the blessings that from it, here's the goodness. And sometimes it was instant. And sometimes it was months later down the road. No, I was not know, extend kindness to somebody in the grocery store and they ended up hearing of our story and then one of our largest donors for our foundation. Like it's absolutely mind blowing when you actually follow through on the nudge of your heart and really start what that looks like. And so I just would encourage people, even when it's very, even when it's tough, even when you're not guaranteed the outcome that you may want, follow through. That's how you enjoy. Would you say that it's living outside your comfort zone? But for that, you need confidence. If, if, you don't have the self-confidence, then how can you just do it? I think you just need to trust the process and in that embrace and doing stuff that you have done before. But I used to teach in spin and we'd always use the line, without challenge, can't have change. And so if you're looking for change, if you're, you know, wanting and desiring that, it's so important to follow that. And yes, it does take confidence, but I think the confidence will grow every time you show up and make a decision and you actually respond to that nudge. Because it's there for a reason. I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in her big magic book about ideas view. And if you don't respond, the ideas eventually leave and somebody else gets the idea Mm -hmm. and comes up with it. I think that's the same thing. It's like, if I hadn't responded through on my nudge, some other chick would have responded or walked alongside hot Ronnie and, and maybe been you know, his wifey and whatever. And I'm just like, every time for me, it's like, thank God I stepped out and got really uncomfortable and did the scary thing because I literally am married to the sexiest man alive, my <laughs> life partner, my soulmate, the best father in the world to our kids. Like I'm paid off, you know, more than I could ever ask. Challenge yourself, say every nudge I get, I'm going to follow through for three months and just see how it'll change your life. The most recent kind of nudge that sticks out for me was in a yoga class and it was me and one other lady left finishing kind of stretching. Everyone's, you know, left, you're lying in namaste. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is peace. I don't have kids crawling over all over me. <laughs> and I felt the nudge. I felt God saying to me, I need you to tell that lady that everything's going to be okay. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, so awkward. I'm going to go tell the stranger who I have no idea, who I'm now super sweaty and disgusting with, that everything is going to be okay. And I just heard this voice again from God say, it's not up for you to understand how it's going to be okay. I just want you to communicate that to her and let her know. And it turned out that I, she was like, thank you. I needed to hear that. I've never heard from this lady again. I have no idea where she is and if, if it actually ended up being okay, but I knew it was my, my time to share that. So, wow. So talking about your amazing, sexy husband, um, (laughs) I'm sure you'd love to talk about that. One comment I get from mothers is how to keep the marriage or the partnership intimate Mm -hmm. and flourishing after having kids, because that can disrupt the relationship quite a bit. Totally. Yes. And you have learned quite a few things about that, especially adding on to that, that you've lost a child together. So what can you tell these mamas? What can be helpful to keep that relationship blooming and Mm -hmm. to keep that spark? So here is what I know to be true. Marriage is freaking hard work. (laughs) And then you add kids to the mix and holy crap. And then add in finances or maybe you're in business together. You know, like marriage is hard work. It is not for the faint of heart. 
Um, and I will tell you, there's so many times that I've wanted to just throw in the towel because it's just felt like, oh, if I just wasn't in this, like it would be so much easier. And I think that's, you know, a default setting and I'm working so hard to wire that because I don't want to throw in the towel. And after the loss of a child, your odds are usually stacked even higher um, against you in terms of it possibly gets even harder. And so what I've learned is, is I want to show up the way that I want my partner to show up for me. And I think when you start to do that and so you, you act the way that you'd want your partner to act, that starts to rub off on each other. And one of the questions and, and something that we've you know, focus on is how can you serve your partner? And I, I share that a little bit in the book, but you know, it's like, oh, hey, babe, I, I packed your lunch. I know you had a really crazy late night of meetings or whatever it is. So I packed your lunch for you. And it's a small thing, but I feel like when you start to show up, um, your, your partner will start to then emulate and do those things. And so the first thing is, is I would say like be of service to your partner and show up for how they want to be shown up for. You, you got to make time for sex. And it sounds crazy, but there's that intimate connection that I believe is so important in a marriage. And honestly, I get it. It's hard. Like literally a couple months ago, my daughter walked in on us and you're like, Oh golly, this is so awkward. And you know where the window is. You're like, dang, like this is hard to make it happen. I mean, it's going to be hard, but make time for it. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And there isn't always going to be candles and, and romance, but you know, show up for your partner in that way. Cause it, it does make a huge difference. I know once you know, we have sex and you keep doing it regularly. It makes you feel more connected to each other. It does for, for myself and hot Ronnie. And I'm so thankful that, that we have that. So we've chosen to make that a priority and then try and plan a date night. And when I try to plan a date night, I don't think about what I would like. I think about what my partner would like. Mm -hmm. And so an example is we just celebrated our seven year anniversary and, you know, we're in the middle of COVID. We're a small business owner. So we're definitely feeling the pinch. And so we're like, we normally do a spa day and spend a whole day and we'll go do a yoga class and we, we do stuff that he likes and I like, and um, we, you know, spend this you know whole day off and it wasn't in the cards for us this year, which was fine. And so we hadn't planned anything. We decided to just do a simple dinner at home. And then I was like, no, you know what? I know I don't want to celebrate seven years and not do something. And so I called in a favor from a friend and I said, Hey, is there any way that you can get us on for nine holes of golf this evening? And he, you know, texted me back. He's like, it's my treat. Happy to, you know, celebrate your anniversary. Mm -hmm. And you know, you have a tea time at seven Oh three. Can I tell you something? I don't want to go golfing. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I've, I've worked my balls off and golfing is one of the most frustrating games. I'm super good. <laughs> and then I'm super horrible. <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's not my favorite thing to do, but what I know is it fills up my husband's cup. What I know is, is that he loves quality time with me. And on the course, you're not interrupted. You're focused on the game. You're sitting in the cart together. And so I was like, you know what, for me to enjoy this, uh, I'm going to have a glass of wine while we do our nine holes. That's going to be my treat to myself. And I'm going to golf and participate and love on my husband. And it was the best thing that I could have done in just being able to do that. And that filled up our cup. And it was like a memory and again, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but it was something that was really important to my hubby. And so I'm glad that I did that. Um, and for me, it's like, he knows that it's not my first thing, but then if I ask him to do something that I love, he's way more willing to jump on board and do it. Yeah. I mean, just, I'd say showing up in that way and it's consciously making an effort. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. Obviously, since I found your book, I've been following you on Instagram and I love how you're always keeping it real. Like my house is a mess and but whatever, mm -hmm. and I'm not good at decorating my kids room, and, oh, but I found amen, a way yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes. And you, you know, you posted the picture in a swimsuit and you talked about, you know, I don't have the perfect body, but that's not the point. And I love how you're just showing up and just putting yourself out there and not giving a beep about what other people <laughs> are thinking about. Do you think you were always like that or it's because of what you've been through in your life that made you to be like this today? Okay, so I grew up and I have amazing parents who have still love and confidence and told me I could do anything and that I was designed for great big things and really instilled, um, I think, confidence and love and self-worth in me. And I think my faith has played a role into it. I wouldn't say I was always this way, but it's been a series of circumstances time and time again that have shown me that like the stuff that holds you back is like, that's where you can be trapped in. And I just no longer want to be trapped in that. 
And I have a vision and a dream for my life. And that vision and dream uh, is that, you know, I'm the mom that's involved. I'm, I'm the mom that's in the water playing with her kids, you know, and these examples mm-hmm. showing up in my bathing suit and girlfriend, like my legs got cellulite for days. I've got mm-hmm. varicose veins every freaking which way. Um, like it's bad, you know, Swayze's <laughs> like, mom, why do your legs have bruises? I was like, they're varicose <laughs> veins. Like leave me alone. Um, and I got a big old butt that half the time I can't even find a swimsuit that will cover it. So I usually just let both cheeks hang out. Um, and make my husband's like, this isn't Brazil tuck in your bum. And I was like, you know what? This is what works. And so I've just learned, you know, we get trapped up in like what other people think about us. But the reality is, is I know the people that matter to me, they, they don't care what size of bathing suit I am. They don't care if I got varicose veins or how good my legs look. They don't care if I'm wearing makeup or not wearing makeup or how much money is in my bank account or what kind of car I drive. And so I'd say, who are you surrounding yourself with? Or do they make you feel good? Do they lift you up? Are they your cheerleaders? And are they encouraging you to show up as your best self? Because if mm-hmm. they're not, if you're hanging out with people that aren't pouring into you and saying, damn girl, like you look fly. And yes, girl, rock that suit. Um, I, I challenge you that you probably need new friends or need a new group. And thankfully, I'm a I'm a required flavor because Mm -hmm. I'm bold and I'm, you know, I just don't care what people think anymore. That being said, I still get caught up in that trap, but I hope the freedom that I feel when I'm at the beach, when I'm with my kids, I want other moms to feel that. I don't want them to feel judged. Mm -hmm. And I want them to feel that sense that they can just go and enjoy and be with their kids and not worried about what the lady two towels over from them is thinking about their roles because she's probably so self-conscious about herself. Mm-hmm. And I had a mom reach out to me after I wrote that post and I just had showed some of my roles. She said, I haven't worn a bathing suit in five years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sorry, what? And I was like, girlfriend, I'm taking you to the beach. She unfortunately lived in Florida and there's no way I'm getting to Florida anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But I was like, next time I'm in Florida, I'm picking you up and we're going to go <laughs> hang out in bathing suits on the beach. Because I, I hope people learn that it's like, no one at your funeral is being like, well, Jessica had a rock hard body, a six pack of abs. No, like they talk about the things that you poured your heart into and how you cared mm. for others and how you made them feel. And I've had those life lessons where I've lost some of my grandparents. I've been at their funerals and spoken about them. No mm. one talked about their body because at the end of the day, we're all getting super saggy. Our boobs are hanging down to our freaking knees and <laughs> there's a whole lot of rules happening. I don't care what type of shape you're in when you're 95. You know what I mean? Like we're all headed south. So... <laughs> You're hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I think I think if we let go of that and just start to be like, um, I am so also blessed and fortunate. My the disease that my son had um, robbed the body of movement, and literally he was lying on a hospital bed. And if he needed something, we'd have to move his body or or make him comfortable or position him. And I now have a very good friend of mine. Her name's Shaylin. She's like a little sister to me. And the, these kids that I've helped out. And I know what it's like for them. They're, they're trapped in these bodies that don't work. Their brains work so beautifully, but their bodies won't move. And so, you, you know, we have to move their bodies and make those adjustments. I just don't want to waste the time that I do have in my body that is mm-hmm. working because if, if that changes on a dime, you know, if you get, you know, an infection and all of a sudden you aren't able to walk, if, you know, you get into a car accident and you get paralyzed, whatever it is, I want to say like, I did what I could with what I had. And so that has just helped me reframe how I show up and what I actually care about. Yeah, like with my first pregnancy, where it, I thought I'd be back to my initial size mm-hmm. when the mm-hmm. once the baby came out, and it wasn't like yeah. that. And I would get comments from people, and it made me so self conscious online. Nowadays, you hear that from new mothers: "When am I going to lose the the baby weight, or how long? What yeah. do we need to do?" So I love what you're saying because more women, and I mean anyone listening Mm -hmm. needs to hear this often to get it to sink in. (laughs) Oh, sing it. I mean, my, I had my third child and my daughter, she was four when we had our third child, our our little son, Hollis. And I remember coming home and my daughter pounds my belly and she goes, mom, do you still have another baby in there? And I was like, oh, sweet baby. Jesus. I was like, no, honey. I'm like, mommy's body is just going to take some time to go back, but you still look pregnant. And people don't tell you that when you have your kids that like, not everyone walks out of there in their skinny jeans. And I, I have friends that walk out of there in their skinny jeans. I do. Mm-hmm. There are people. Some people have that metabolism. Mm-hmm. I am not one of them. 
So I get it. It's hard work. I'm still hanging on to the kind of final 15 pounds, um, you know, baby weight that I'd love to get to. I'm healthy and make good decisions and I'm just not willing to give up the wine and cheese yet. And so along comes a little extra leaven, but it's a hard thing to get your head through. Um, but to any moms that are listening to this, it's like, it's a journey and it's a process. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's change gears a little bit. I want to talk about yeah. your son and about giving back. So Lewis and your son, as you mentioned, passed away. He was almost six months old in 2016 yep. from SMA yep. disease, which yep. from what I read, there's currently no cures right now, correct? That is correct. They're close. They are. They have some amazing medications out on the market, most expensive in the world, but there are some amazing medications out there. So ever since he passed, even prior to him being born, you developed this relationship with kids that had similar disease, SMA disease, and you've become very involved in helping support families and pushing companies and pharmaceutical companies for treatment options and lowering the the cost for families. Can you explain exactly for the mother listening, what is this disease and how are you wanting to bring more awareness or support through your foundation? You have the Lewiston Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so spinal muscular atrophy is a rare genetic disease. Unfortunately, it is the number one killer of kids under two. And it's about one in 6,000 babies are, are born with it. I feel like we're starting to see the numbers rise, but maybe it's just because I'm in, you know, so involved in the community. And there currently is no cure. And when my son was born, there was no treatment. Now, you know, drastic research has been taking place and tons of brilliant minds have come together. And my son was able to access, uh, be the first in Alberta, the province of Alberta, to access a, a drug called Spinraza, which is a treatment to um, help slow the deterioration down of their bodies. And so spinal muscular atrophy, you'd think would be a muscular disease, but it's actually the disease is that they're missing a copy of the gene that produces the protein and the protein is what the nerve communicates down to the muscles. And so slowly the muscles start um, wasting away and they start not being able to use them. And eventually, um, eventually they aren't able to move and we need muscles to do everything from breathing to swallowing, clearing our throat. And so it's a scary disease. Uh, both parents typically have to be a genetic carrier. And unfortunately, I don't carry this one copy and my husband doesn't carry a copy. So we're carriers of it. And we passed on the zero copy to our son. Our daughter um, does not have the disease and our son is a carrier, but doesn't um, have the disease. And so he'll have to be mindful of, of what it looks like. But I've learned a lot about the disease. And my hope is, is that parents would be thankful for their kids when they're screaming and crying and being crazy. And my other hope for them is that um, they would appreciate the moments because there's a mom out there with a baby to SMA that is just begging for her kid to scream and pull the curtains and dump Cheerios all over the floor and to not take the moments for granted. I, my son has taught me that for sure. And um, we're doing really incredible work. Our um, foundation has raised over $800,000. And with that money, we've been able to help families with medical needs that, you know, they had and aren't necessarily funded by anybody else. And so we want to ease the financial burden. And then as well, we pour into research. And one of those things with research is, is that we're hoping that the province here in Alberta, Ontario, just picked it up. We are hoping to beat them and be the first to it, but our mm-hmm. government's a little bit slow. Mm-hmm. But every child born, they get what's called newborn screening. And each province uh, runs it different provincially. But our hope is, is that the province will start testing for this because there's this treatment of Spinraza. And then there's actually a gene therapy that just got FDA approved in the United States. And it's in the approval process here with Health Canada and CADIS to get approval and we're hoping to know by the end of this year, 2020, um, if it will get approved. It is the world's most expensive drug, but it basically replaces the gene that these children are missing and helps them reproduce those proteins. So those proteins can keep talking to those muscles and those kids can keep using their muscles. There's a little girl here that just recently got it and she had basically couldn't even move her arms. And she's now in an assisted kind of sander wheelchair and she's learning to weight bear and, and walk. And this is just in a matter of 
months of her receiving treatment. Oh, so amazing. the science and the research and um, what they've seen um, is truly cutting edge. I, my hope is that we can get this treatment for every kid because had my son gotten Zolgensma when it was in the clinical trial, he'd mm-hmm. be living with us today and, and probably walking. We know the goodness of what can happen. And so we just are hoping that that, that does happen. So right now, are you helping families only in Alberta or anyone that reaches out to you in Canada? Um, anyone across Canada, we are happy to um, support anybody. So we have a funding process. We kind of fund four times throughout the quarter. So we're hoping that, you know, as people have those medical requests, they fill out a funding application. Our team, we have a board of directors that we meet on it. And obviously in my heart of heart, I just want to raise all the money, fund everybody fully. And I wish I was Oprah and be like, you get a wheelchair accessible van and you get a new wheelchair. Um, it's not quite that way, but it is really cool to call the families and say, Hey, we, we want you to be able to go on a family bike ride. So we're going to fund, you know, 5,000, 7,000, whatever it is for a wheelchair accessible bike so that your family can do something that most families take for granted. And so we're really proud of the work and the families that we've been able to help and impact. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned, so when babies are born, they're not tested for this specific gene. Is that what you're No, it is. It's, it's not a standard test, um, which is super unfortunate and, and very obviously frustrating. And it's, it is, it is a very standard test. You can, they're already doing this test where they poke the heel and they get dry blood spots. Yeah. So it's done typically whether you do it in hospital or with your public health care nurse, depending on your province, each province is running a myriad of things. You know, I understand why they weren't doing it before because there wasn't a treatment, there wasn't a cure, but it's like, there's a treatment and there's now gene therapy. So there's like, once you know what the disease is, like we can actually start treating the disease. And with this disease, time is everything. You know, a boy got treatment in, of Finraza a month before my son, and he's still at home making coffee with his mama and living. And my kid on his birthday, we celebrate his birthday and raise money because he's dead. He's up in heaven. And I don't have that same luxury. But if my son had gotten it, you know, 30 days, 15 days earlier, we could be looking at a totally different outcome. And that's why we're just so passionate about implementing newborn screen. Wow. Because I remember in the book, you tried to get your son this spin rasa. So are you saying he didn't get it? He did get it. So he got it. Um, he was four, just over four months old. But the thing was, it wasn't approved yet by Health Canada. So it was in the clinical trial. And with clinical trials, um, there was only two places doing the treatment, BC and Ontario. And we had to get special approval as well as funding. And so we got what's called, we got granted special access. But in behind all the scenes, our pediatric neurologists had to jump through all these hoops, sign all these papers, get all these sign-offs, get special permission to be able to treat because it wasn't an improved site in the original clinical trial. Like it's crazy the levels that she went through for us. Mm -hmm. But by the time she got there, it was just like there had been so much deterioration to his little body. Mm -hmm. The disease was progressing so fast. It just wasn't fast enough. Wow. Oh my gosh. Talking about it being a carrier, I had a former boss who mentioned this to me and it, it just clicked when I was prepping this interview. A couple years back, she said, if I plan to marry or have kids with my partner, and she, she was recommending this for all couples, that they should get tested to see if they're, they're genetically a good match. And at the time, I said, you're crazy. Like, who's going to do mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Do you think if you both had done a test like that, they would have been able to detect it? Or it wasn't one of, like you said, there was no cure, so they weren't really looking for that? Yeah, there were, they, they weren't looking for that at the time. And me and my husband had no idea because mm-hmm. we had had a healthy, um, a healthy kid. And so you yeah, don't even think true. about it. I mean, now knowing what we know, we wish that everyone could be able to get tested, but there's a myriad of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of things that you can test for. So it's like, Mm -hmm. where do you start and stop? And, you know, even for our third child, we um, decided that we were going to get pregnant naturally and not go through IVF with PGD, which is pre-genetic diagnosis. So they test the embryo. Um, I just heard such mixed results and I was like, okay, we're just going to give this a go and we'll see what happens. I don't know what we'll do for our next child. 
but um, they can test the egg and embryo. They can test the embryo once you're at a certain point, 11 weeks, and they'll do a CBS test, but it's nerve wracking and scary. And I mean, now there is something that you can do about it. So the sooner you know, the sooner you can have a treatment plan in place where Mm -hmm. that wasn't the case four years ago. Why did you, you both decide to get pregnant again, knowing there was a chance that your child would, would have the carrier gene? Well, the carrier gene, I mean, I have the carrier gene and I think I'm pretty dang fine. So um, <laughs> our children have a 75% chance of being absolutely fine, only a 25% chance okay. of having the disease. And so for me, I, like, I mean, I looked at it and I mean, to each their own, I looked at it like going gambling in Vegas. I was like, if someone told me I could win with 75% odds, I would gamble. Yeah. I, I would put, I'd put my money on, on black and say, let's do this up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and because there was treatment and Finraza have been approved, I knew that we could test and that we would be able to have a treatment plan in place where previously that wasn't the case. And so that probably would have been different. And honestly, again, talking about those nudges, I just had this peace in my heart um, that we would be okay. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that looked like, but I trust my intuition and my gut. And, you know, we went into this with a lot of prayer um, and just saying, okay, like this is where we're, we're going to give it a go. And there's no guarantees here. And I'm, I'm so thankful. It obviously worked out in our favor and it might not for the next kid. It might be a totally different story, but I literally had just complete peace in my heart. And so I, I we went forward and trusted that it was mm-hmm. hard, but we did it. Mm-hmm. You say that you want to teach both your kids about being compassionate and understanding of those who have different abilities. Um, yeah. And I did a, an episode recently about discrimination and racism. And the number two at the top of the list for Canada of um, people who were getting um, discriminated were disabled kids. Um, so mm-hmm. what are you doing specifically to help your kids be more compassionate towards others that are different? I think that's a great question. And I will say this, I do not have all the answers. I'm not going to get it right. I'm going to mess up and and get it wrong. And I think as the conversation um, around BLM and all these different things are so prevalent right now in our times is a lot Mm -hmm. of us don't do anything because we're so scared. What if we do get it wrong and people will criticize? And I've just learned that showing up and trying is better than not showing up at all. And so very specifically, when we're talking about stuff like teaching them about disabilities and people that will look different, act different and show up differently than we do, um, it's about having a conversation. And one of the things that I, I do believe I've done right as a parent is about getting down on my daughter's level and telling her that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be involved and um, that we still treat these people with love and respect and it doesn't matter the color of your skin or it doesn't matter the level of your ability. And we do so much work with people in wheelchairs that look a lot different than us. And she grew up in the hospital for a chunk of her life um, that she saw a ton of different able bodies it was easy to have a natural conversation with her. And so, yeah, we talk about a lot of things. And one of my favorite things is she's learning how to play with somebody in a wheelchair. So rather than just, you know, not including them because they can't play the same way that I play, mm-hmm. um, we, we made our home wheelchair accessible because of the work that we do. Um, we live in a bungalow that, you know, the washroom is, it's not ideally accessible, but it is accessible as well as, you know, being in our kitchen and our, our living room, you know, are, are fully wheelchair accessible. And my daughter you know, loves playing with my girlfriend, Shay, who's, you know, 25 and in a wheelchair and play just looks different. Um, Mm -hmm. My daughter gets creative or my daughter will help, you know, move her feet or they'll play differently. And she, because she's grown up with it, it's become a natural thing for her, you know, saying just because someone can't do the same things that we can do doesn't mean that we leave them out. And so I think just being around it has been able to spark that conversation and kids are curious. Um, and I think allow them to be curious, you know, when I'm hanging out with people in a wheelchair and you see other kids staring, you know, I'll usually walk over to them and say, Hey, if you're not sure, we can ask Miss Shay some questions so that you feel more comfortable. And I think when they can get involved and understand it, it helps, you know, create a, a very open conversation that allows people to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about strength because reading through your journey, the couple of months you were living at the hospital while your son Lewiston was there and tough times of the emotions and yet you still found 
a reason, a way to bring joy. You had dance parties and you made the staff participate, which I found very fun. Why put that much energy and where did you find the strength? I'm sure you didn't sleep that well at the hospital. So where did your inner strength come from during this difficult period? Mm -hmm. Again, I'll go back to I'm a person of faith and my my strength comes from the Lord. That's the first and foremost. I I couldn't have done this journey on my own strength. I mean, you pitter out, your your tank gets low. And so for me, I pressed into reading scripture and listening to worship music. And then I think the second thing, which is I believe a spiritual gift to me has been the gift of energy. And you just go into a zone where you're like, I don't have the option to quit. I don't have the option to not show up. And so I just did that. Um, which made a a massive difference. And then the other thing is, is Mm -hmm. like, I was not afraid to ask for help. Said to people, I said, hey, like, I'm not okay. Um, And for me, I was like, hey, I need need a cup of coffee. I need a green juice. I need salad. And so I think the strength that came from, again, those small daily habits of arming myself for what we laid ahead. I believe in a simple a measure of like making your dang bed. Like that sets up your day to continue to do really well. That sets up your day that you can show up in a good way that you've created a habit and you've created forward momentum. So even in the hospital, even living in a hospice, I made my day in bed because it felt good to me and it set me up for a successful day. And I wasn't afraid to raise my hands and say, I can't do this right now. I, I don't have the capacity. And I think when we do that, when we, we say, hey, I need help. The right people always come along and show up. And a lot of times it's not who we thought it would be mm-hmm. or who we expected to be. And so I think whether you're facing a terminal diagnosis and your kid is, you know, dying before you in, in your arms, or whether you're just like at your wit's end, you're completely exhausted and you have nothing in your tank, ask for help. When my daughter was first born, my husband and I had this epic fight and I like took my daughter. I don't know. She was like weeks old at the time. And I was like, fine, we're leaving. And I stormed out of the house and, you know, we were on such heightened emotion. And I went to a family friend's house and I plunked down the car seat and I just fell into a million tears. I'm like, I think Ronnie and I are going to get divorced and I can't do this and I'm exhausted. And, and literally she said, mama, up to bed, get to bed, go sleep. And I literally was just exhausted from, you know, breastfeeding a million times in the night and changing diapers and doing all the things. And a man's mm. never going to get it. They don't, they just <laughs> no. don't, they, they don't burn the child. They don't carry a baby you know, for freaking nine months or yeah. 10 months, whatever the math is. And she let me sleep. And in that simple fact of just asking for help, asking for, hey, can you just help me out? She totally journeyed with me and had my back and comforted me and allowed me some time to rest. And let me tell you that like two hour nap that I had was the best two hour nap of my life and gave me the energy to continue along the journey. In the book, you shared when someone is grieving, helpful things to do and things not to do. One of the things I want to mention, because I thought it was really important for things to do, you say that you had a friend send you a text two months after your son passed away. And Mm -hmm. that most people, they're there when it's happening. You know, that first week with the funeral and they send you baskets and food and you get like Mm -hmm. sometimes overwhelmed with everyone that, that wants to help and be present. And then suddenly no one, everyone goes back to their life. But you say that the grief doesn't just disappear two months later and just getting a a random text. How are you doing? That means a lot to someone that's grieving. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, My girlfriend, Jody, um, we weren't even that close to friends prior to my son. Like we should taken my spin class. I'd had a cup of coffee with her, but we weren't really that close. And through the level of care and compassion um, that she showed me in my time of of heartache, um, a really deep, beautiful friendship grew. And she showed up in, you know, practical ways, but the the best thing that she, you know, provided me was just, she would say, Hey, I know that Lewiston would have turned eight months today. Hey, I know that Lewiston, and would have turned nine months today. And she would say his name and, and she would honor and recognize that, you know, most moms are, you know, laying things out on the floor and doing a flat lay and taking a picture of their kid growing and, you know, posting mm-hmm. like, my baby's nine months and loves to roll over and stick his <laughs> feet in his mouth. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get to do that. And let's be honest, I, I'm not that mom. I'm like, ah, my kid turned nine months and I should have taken a picture. That, if I'm being <laughs> honest. 
you know, we, we look forward to those milestones and we anticipate them. And I didn't get that. And she honored, you know, that monthly kind of birthday that many celebrate. And she just showed up. It didn't cost her anything other than her time. And she spoke my son's name. And so if you have a friend in the midst of grief, whether it's a child or a parent or, you know, a sibling, whatever it is, I'm speaking their name out loud and honoring them is an absolutely massive blessing and so, so, so important. And so I just want to encourage other people to do that. And so it was a very practical way. And when the dust settles, um, it can feel really dark and really alone. And like, you're the only one going through it. Mm-hmm. And so to have somebody say, Hey, you're not all by yourself and Hey, we've got your back. It, it's a, a beautiful blessing. Mm-hmm. I want to read a short excerpt from your book. You spoke briefly about it, but I find it's really important to mention it again. You wrote after Lewiston's passing that if you are reading this chapter and are a mama or a dad, squeeze your little babies tighter, soak in the moments and don't wish them away. You also wrote that I battle with the fact that my son isn't here and other people are wasting their lives. They don't care for their kids or aren't grateful for what they have. And I just wanted to mention this because sometimes I know it's a good reminder. And like you said earlier, sometimes we need a slap in the face to, to say, okay, you're lucky or you're good. You have this and this. And we often live our lives on autopilot and take people Mm -hmm. and things for granted. I think there was something about like, we can yell at our kids for not flushing the toilets or Mm -hmm. little things like that, or putting the TV on too too loud. But in the end, that's nothing. It's Mm -hmm. at least they're there and healthy. It's a good reminder, especially in the early years when the kids need more time and attention. And here's the thing. I'm that same mama who was like, for the love of God, like, can you not just clean up? And also like on Mother's Day, I lost my shizzle manizzle. Like I was like, all I wanted was a clean house for Mother's Day. It's not too much to ask. I am not perfect. Trust me. I have to check myself in. I have to check myself in. And it's like, dang it, I just cleaned the floor. And now we have sticky banana, mushed blueberry, and some freaking goldfish mushed into that mix. Like, are you kidding me? And then after I go to that, like, bam moment, I go like in the hospital while I was holding my son, begging for this, begging for them to be pounding on the glass, begging for them to be ba- making a mess, begging, pleading with God that my son could just get up and do the things that other little boys should have been doing. Now, when I have those moments with my crazy one-year-old who, like I swear, is going to rip my house apart, I'm like, this. I am living somebody's dream because there's somebody sitting in a hospital begging for this moment. You know, I read this post where a grieving mom said, I just wish I had the fingerprints all over the glass and him banging the, the screen door. You know, and and that really resonates with me where it's like, oh, I just wiped the glass. But I'm like, there's somebody that would give anything for what I'm living right now. And so it's just a really um, good checkpoint and reset for me. And we're all going to experience it. Motherhood, raising kids, being a mama, it's hard work. And sometimes it feels lonely and it feels thankless. And it's, you know, one of the most selfless things we can do. But when I go back to that moment where I begged for those moments, I just soak it all in. And I know at some point uh, I'll be wishing for these days. So for now, I'm just embracing the sheer crazy chaos that it is. Yeah. On Instagram, I I follow a couple mothers who their kids are terminally ill or have passed. And I, it's, I mean, I can't imagine what they're going through having not lived that. And I always feel like because sometimes I leave comments, but it's hard to know what to say. Just to recognize that when you say, hey, it's hard to know what to say. Um, Sometimes there isn't anything that you can say, but you're just saying like, I don't have the words for you. Um, And then I'm thinking of you, I don't have the words, but I'm standing with you. I think just sometimes just saying, I don't have the words and, and that's okay. And that's enough because it's like, I don't know how to show up, but I'm going to stand with you in, in the mess. 
So I want to finish, finish off with a few freshly squeezed questions. So it's just yeah, girl. quick and fun. So you answer in one sentence or less. Okay. And so keep it short. <laughs> That's going to be hard for me, but I'll try. What's your go-to drink at Starbucks? Upside down Americana with room, add cream, sprinkle cinnamon dolces on top. Not high maintenance at all. <laughs> What's the first thing you do in the morning after waking up? Pee and turn my kettle on to boil water for my French press. What's your go-to mom hairstyle? <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> favorite color? Depends what it's for, but yellow is right up there. If I'm wearing clothes, my favorite color for clothes is black. If I'm like thinking joyful colors, it's oral and yellow. Okay, so I think you answered that today, but how do you keep your mind healthy and strong? Prayer, gratitude, surrounding yourself with good people. Are you a meat eater or a veggie mama? Both. Yeah. I can have both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. Give mama a good steak and I'm happy. What's your favorite dance song? Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. Uh, Post Malone um, by, it's like a remix by Rain and Body. Do you have dance parties every day? I used to, not every day, but now I work out with a girlfriend and we do dance workouts and it's mm. my new thing. Mm -hmm. Your favorite holiday? Christmas. The one question you get asked the most. How to detox your armpits or what lip gloss do I wear? <laughs> you know what? It's funny because I watch your Instagram stories just before this and yeah. I saw that. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a very weird question for them. I know, but I get it asked the most often. It's hilarious. Is it because you talk about your armpits often? Or <laughs> well, that's, that's why I started talking about it. I did a post two years ago about a natural deodorant. And I think so many people have been trying to convert. And I just started sharing my experience about how I did it. The one thing you wish all mothers understood. Everyone's journey is going to look different. Do you still call your husband hot Ronnie? Sure as heck do. <laughs> Fill in the blank. I can never have enough of coffee. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm going to say like shoes or something like that. Oh, oh, sister, girlfriend. Yes, that is my <laughs> love language. Yes, you actually nailed it on the head. I think because I haven't gone shoe shopping because we're in like COVID times. Um, I haven't gotten to drool over it. <laughs> One thing that's on your bucket list. Taking my kids and my family to South Africa to do a safari. If you'd meet your younger self today, what's the first thing you'd tell her? Stop caring what everybody else thinks and just be fully Jessica. The last one, you have one day off. Where would I find you? Is money a, a, a limited or do I have an unlimited fund? Okay, let's do it both ways. I didn't actually think of that. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it interesting. If let's... money wasn't like a, a limitation and I could be anywhere, I'd be like in Hawaii or like on the beach with like a, my greatest group of friends and family, soaking up time in the sun and playing in the water and eating healthy, fresh food and just having amazing deep conversation with like a long table dinner. If like, it's just like on a normal day and I have the day off, mm -hmm. um, you can probably find me doing something for myself, like self-care, whether that's getting my nails done or my eyebrows done or whatever and then doing a fun activity with my kids cooking at home um soaking in good conversation with some friends over for dinner mm, love that so where can listeners find more about you your foundation your clothing line give us all the details okay so the easiest way to find me and connect with me is they can find me on instagram at the jessica jansen and you can slide into my dms if you have any questions or want to know about my lip gloss or armpits mm -hmm. <laughs> and then on there you can find our clothing line which is the lewiston label and our clothing line um has messages of what my son has taught us and what i continue to learn and so there's simple messages be local manufacturer the clothing and a portion of proceeds goes back towards our foundation and our foundation is love or and you can catch us on Instagram or on the World Wide Web. And we've raised over $800,000. And so if you feel nudged at all and believe in the work that we're doing, you know, a donation of $5 or $500, it doesn't matter. We do it penny by penny, dollar by dollar. And um, we're really proud of how we're impacting the community across Canada. Love that. So I'll finish with one question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that mm -hmm. being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. Mm -hmm. Keeping motherhood inspired, what one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? 
move your body. And that's like, whether it's a dance party, whether that's a workout, whether that's going for a run, a power walk, doing something for yourself makes you a better mama. And we get fuel, we find fuel um, when we give our bodies the opportunity to kind of like fuel creates more fuel. And so I'd say move your body, have a dance party. Um, when you're feeling, you know, lethargic and, and sluggish and all those things, we tend not to do what we should be doing. And so move your body so you can show up the best way for your children. And that will give you good vibes in your head and good vibes and endorphins. And that just trickles down into everything else you'll do. Love that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired Podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening. Two, three, four, five, six stars. Whatever you feel reflect podcast, this will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>